0: Jesus said that it is sort of foolish to light a light and then cover it. Yeah, that's not what you do with lights. You turn on the light so it can be put on a stand and give light to everyone in the house. This year at Northside, our theme is the light of life. And we are talking not just about Jesus being the light, but about also his light being reflected in us and through us. I want to put some light on the stand a little bit this morning. Uh, yesterday, a group of, uh, well, maybe there we go, a group of volunteers uh, organized by Autumn Pericolosi and Bob and Rhonda Arrow went and served some of the homeless in the community and some underserved people, and they did a wonderful work. Uh, they did haircuts and Manicures and pedicures, and by the way, I didn't—I had no idea that Luke Nelson did manicures, but he looks thrilled about it, doesn't he? Uh, they had games for kids, and they prayed with people, and they just took the opportunity to serve. And I don't talk about that because they asked me to do it or that they desire the recognition, but just simply to put some light on the stand. Uh, we are partnering with four different ministries this year, intentionally asking people to give 20 dollars in 17 hours of the course of 2017. And the purpose of that is, again, not for our glory, but that the, that the people see the light coming through us, and we point the light back to the source, his light. I know the song is "This little light of mine," but it 's a little theologically off it 's this little light of his. Um, so uh, as we do good, as uh, you partner with those ministries, we're going to share some of that. And I just want to say a special appreciation to all those who organized and served in any way uh, yesterday. Uh, it was a great good done and a great deal being of good being done. I'm really excited because today we start a new series. I always get... Uh, about as excited as a squirrel in a nut farm when I start a new series, I just get to start over, get to do something different, get to get to talk about things and, and uh, address a new subject and a new area and I think this one in particular well it 's just going to be something that we can all relate to, and I think it will be a great opportunity to invite your family, your friends, neighbors, and coworkers to come in here because I believe the Bible has a lot to say about what we're going to talk about in this series. It was about 9.54 p.m. last night. I pulled into the drive-through. The voice inside the box cheerfully announced, it's a beautiful night here at Chick-fil-A. My name is Megan. (laughs) How may I serve you? To which I enthusiastically replied, Hi Megan. Uh I, I would like seven chocolate chunk cookies and a grilled chicken sandwich. Have you ever had that sense that the voice on the other side of the drive thru box is judging you? Now You may have had that experience where you go to McDonald's and you order two Big Macs and a supersized fry and a large Diet Coke to counteract it all. Or maybe you go to Arby's and you order the salad and a large Jamocha shake. And you know that in those situations, they are mocking you. They are rolling their eyes. There is a teenage girl wearing a headset who can't even right now. But that's not the way it is at Chick-fil-A friends. There is no judgment here. Megan simply said it would be my pleasure to which I replied, Ditto. I pulled around. I got my seven chocolate chunk cookies. And a grilled chicken sandwich. I can already feel most of you judging me right now. Toby, you can't barely close your suit jacket. You don't need a chocolate chunk cookie. What you need is an intervention, my friend. All right, all right. The grilled chicken sandwich was for me. Uh, The chocolate chunk cookies are for you. I know now you're excited, aren't you? Listen, you need to know, I I know some of you are saying, you know, I don't really need a chocolate chunk cookie. That sounds like a a person who's been to McDonald's and tasted their awful stale cookies. Listen, if you have been to Chick-fil-A, you know that these are life-changing kind of cookies. These are cookies that you bequeath in your will to your heirs. They are that good. And on a day like today, they're a highly valued commodity. Unless you bought some yet last night, like I did, you can 't get these cookies today unless you do something illegal. But I have behind this pulpit a bag of chocolate chunk cookies. I have one individual for the single pack and and six for a family pack, or if you're up for a challenge as a single, and you want to try eating all six yourself. Why do I have those this morning? Because I want to ask you to do something. On Northside's Facebook page, we and we have two of them, by the way. One is the family at Northside Church of Christ, and that is the private group. And when it's private because we share personal things and information that we don't want everybody to see out there. But the public one is kind of like our sign outside Meridian. And I'm so excited about this series. I'd really like for you to share it with your friends. I'd like for them to know about it because I think the Bible has a lot to say. So if you'll go to the public Northside Church of Christ page, and if there is this picture uh, on that page, and if you will simply share that picture, uh, then the person who has the most likes on their share We'll get the six cookies. The person who has the second most likes will get the one cookie. And if nobody shares them, I'll just eat them myself. I don't care, but you don't want that to happen. And Christy doesn't want to buy any more suits. So we're talking in this series about the things that God designed to go together And I asked Sarah Holt, who does all my image works, to put together some things that naturally go together. And so she sent me a whole bunch of them. And and in the stack somewhere, she snuck this one in. I'm not sure exactly why she (laughs) did that, but anyway, enough commercials. As I said, we're going to talk about the most important kind of relationships that you and I have and today we are going to talk about the most important one. And, and I want you to understand as we talk about these other relationships, lesson number one is foundational. you got to have this. You've got to understand what we're talking about today if all your other relationships are going to matter at all. Let me start before we jump into the lesson by telling you two difficult truths, two things that you need to know that for some of us are hard to accept. The first is that God designed you for relationship. Now, there are some people the personality test calls them the otters. I mean they just thrive on people, the extroverts you know their their battery gets charged by being around people and by going to parties and and they just love that, and so this number one is not a hard thing for them to accept. They love being in relationships they they love having more and more people in their lives. but there are some of us in here that are not extroverts. Uh, we do well to just be on our own. We're very self-sufficient. Um yesterday the family and I went to the Sedgwick County Zoo and some of the animals they put, you know, just all the gorillas and all the bears, they put them all together. We went to the tiger exhibit, and if, I didn't realize this before, <clears throat> they have two tigers and they keep the tigers separated because they're loners. They don't play well with others. And the only time they bring them together is when they mate. And then that's it. Outside of that, they say in their in their separate little areas and and they manage their own kingdom. There are people like that. You know, talking about a series on relationship, they do not get excited even with the bribe of Chick-fil-A cookies. But in Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen, this is the scripture you need to turn to, and, and you probably even know it, God remarked that it is not good for man to be alone. He's not doing using man in a the, in the gender sense there. He's talking about us as people are not designed to be alone. And when you think about that, outside of Adam and Eve, all the rest of us needed two people before we could exist. Hopefully we had a family that raised us and taught us the lessons that we need to know. We had teachers that educated us and guided us along the way. We have a church family that helps us. Learn Christ, know Christ, and grow in Christ. We were not designed to do life by ourselves. But Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 is speaking to a deeper level than just human relationships, which I do believe is true. He's speaking about our relationship with God. Uh, Someone, several people actually, have passed me this article that was in the paper a few weeks ago about a church without Christ. They come together, they sing, they have children's time, they, they tell stories, they, they have camaraderie. But noticeably absent from their union is communion with their their Lord. They don't believe there is one. Um, to me, that's, that's not a very positive article. That's very sad. Now, I can pick on atheists easily because in this crowd... There probably aren't many, but truth is, there are a lot of people who sit in a pew every week and neglect their relationship with their father. And that's not any better, folks. So we need to understand our most important relationship with is with God. Someone once says there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. I've never liked that phrase because I don't think God has a shape. But I want to say there is a God void in our heart. The wise man Solomon said he set eternity in our hearts, and we cannot fathom it from beginning to end. In other words, there's a part of us that will always be perpetually unfilled outside of our relationship with God. The second one, and this is a real hard truth, is that sin... Damaged the relationship. Genesis chapter three tells the story of the fall of man, and this is what verses eight and nine say in part: "They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day." And that's something we can't even wrap our minds around. God walking, but they apparently were in such relationship that they walked together. At least they used to. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? It wasn't that God didn't know they were hiding behind the trees. It was that God was acknowledging that the relationship had changed for the worse in a way that would dramatically impact Adam's race. And the only remedy for that, indeed, would be Christ. Sin destroyed what they needed most, and it destroyed what you and I needed most. Most of the time, when I observe and I look and I see a name and I think, I haven't seen them in a while, and I'll ask people who might know them, where are they? I don't know where they are. If I can't pinpoint a specific circumstance or thing, or they're traveling or something like health problems or something, and they stop coming around. My guess is, and it's about 85% right, there's usually a sin problem. Because our natural reaction, when we do something wrong, whether we're a child or whether we're 99 years old, when we do something we know is wrong, when we sin against God, our broken nature wants to hide from God. And that's not what God wants. So as we start out, we need to understand that God designed us for relationship, most importantly with him, and sin changed all of that. So what do we do? We try to do a lot of things. We come up with churches that don't need God, which aren't really churches at all. We come up with hobbies and passions. We come up with clubs. We we come up with all sorts of things to try to fill the void. You know what God did? God did what He, what we couldn't do. He threw us a vine. He threw us not a lifeline, but a life vine. That vine was Jesus Christ. The Old Testament speaks a great deal about the vine. It was talking about Israel. But the reason that the vine existed was to bring forth a Savior, the true vine, who would give life. If you're turning in your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to help me out by reading this because it is something that we need to understand. That that life begins in the vine. Life only happens when we remain in the vine. And so these verses are going to be up on the screen. I'm thankful that you're turning there. In John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, I want to read the words in white. And I want to ask you if you'll help me out by reading the words in yellow. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. I am the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. The good news is that the vine repaired what we couldn't do. Jesus repaired the relationship that was broken. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Paul said in First Timothy two five. There is one God, we believe that, but there is also one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the connection. He's the go between between God and us. Those of you who live uh, south of Northside and come up by way of two thirty five have a beautiful, constant picture. of probably for the next several years, who knows how long it's going to take them, of these bridges that they are building. The connection from one side to the other. See, human beings tried to build that bridge in so many ways, and all of the bridges washed away, as some of them did with the waters that came. But God built a bridge through his son, a connection, a life vine, from him to us and he is the only bridge that we have and that's the good news so what do we learn three simple lessons first we have to remain in the vine now i used the, uh, the the scripture reading that was read was the niv the one that we all read together was the esv cuz the esv uses a word that we don't use a lot and that's the word abide Abide, similar to the to the term abode, meaning a dwelling place. The Greek word there is meno, which means to remain, to stay, to endure, to continue. Um, this is the the idea that it's the persistence, the, the the not giving up, the staying with it, the sticking the course. I love how a commentator wrote this. It's not my own, so I'm just going to read it. But I thought it was beautiful from the Schofield commentary. To abide in Christ, he said, is on the one hand to have no known sin unjudged and unconfessed. No interest into which he is not brought. No life into which he cannot share or be shared. On the other hand. The abiding one takes all burdens to him and draws all wisdom, life, and strength from him. And see, there are some people who believe in a, in a doctrine called once saved, always saved. It's a teaching called Calvinism. Uh, I understand why they, don't, they believe that, but I don't agree the Bible teaches that. One of the reasons is John chapter 15. Because Jesus says, remain as if there's a choice that some of them might fall away. And indeed, one of them did. Many people chose to leave Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 66, one of the saddest verses in the Bible says, and many withdrew from him and no longer followed him. There were people who had said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. But they didn't finish the verse because they turned back. They walked away. And they walked away from the life giving vine. When that happened, Jesus looked around, and the account of John says that in verse 68, or 67, He looked at his disciples and he said, what about you? Will you also leave? And beautiful, sweet Peter, who opened his mouth many times when he shouldn't have, but he said the right thing in verse 68. As a man clinging to the only life vine that he had, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Oh, I love that. And that's what Jesus is challenging us to do in John 15, to abide. You need to start with Jesus, but you need to make sure that you finish with Jesus. Now, sometimes the reaction to once saved, almost saved is is another unhealthy reaction. I call it once saved, almost saved. this idea that uh, I hope I'm going to heaven. I don't even know. I'm just so unsure. And and there's no confidence. There's There's no approaching the throne of God. It's not understanding who you are. You need to know that your salvation can never, ever be taken from you. And though you can choose to give it up, Jesus encourages you. Peter encourages you cling to the vine. We must abide in him by faith, love, and obedience. He abides in us through the Holy Spirit and the source, and and he is our source of life and strength and renewal. Let me explain this in a different way than with a, a fake vine. No doubt many of you look at me and would Describe me as a hopeless romantic. You would be correct. This week, I decided to buy my wife some flowers. This would be the time when you go, oh. <laughs> Missed cue there, but that's okay. He's like, yeah, you, know, you got to brag about your romantic acts. Real romantic there. Um, they're, they're beautiful flowers, aren't they? see, Christy's love language, I think, I can't remember if I've told you this before, but she tells me, do not buy me flowers on Valentine's Day. To which I say, okay, yes, ma'am. Because I don't want flowers on Valentine's Day. Everybody gets them on Valentine's Day. It's not special. You want to get me flowers, get them when I least expect them. Pick a random day and just bring me flowers. And so every once in a while, I'll do that. That's her love language. Little confession here, when you go to Dylan's, there's sort of an aisle of flowers. At one end is the Cadillac. At the other end is sort of your Ford Fiesta or something. I'm sort of down toward this end bouquet of flowers for $5 brings out the romantic in me. Well, hello. <laughs> These $5 flowers look really good, and they did for just a while. But can I tell you something? They are dying. From the moment they were cut, they were dying. Uh, we tried the best that we could to water them, give them sunlight, to keep them alive for as long as we can. But flowers, whether you pay $5 or $500... Only last a short time because from the moment they are cut, they are dying. Though they look really good, when they're disconnected from the vine, they are dying. You and I can look really good, but the moment we're disconnected from the vine, we're dead. We're dead in our sins and transgressions unless we're connected to the vine. This is so important because, again, we can pick on atheists but let me talk to us this morning. There is a deep, deep difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Because when you go through some of the stuff that some of the people in our pews have been through in the last couple of weeks, knowing about Jesus will not get you through those valleys. But when you cling, as Peter did, to the vine, to the only hope, to the only answer, to the only remedy, that's our only hope. You can do a lot of good things, you can be a lot of good lights. But if you don't know the good shepherd, it doesn't matter. There's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. Just ask Judas. He knew everything about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He wasn't connected to the vine. He wasn't abiding in the vine. In Matthew chapter 7, you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus describes the, the end of the world. And he says something that's very unique. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now we're in verse 22, Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me, now catch this, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out many demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And look what he says in verse 23 away from me, I never knew you. It's not a matter of how much you know about Jesus. The question is, does he know you? Number two, we got to remember who we are. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, neither, unless it abides in the vine, neither can we unless we abide in the vine. He is the vine, and we are the branches. This picture expresses so many things. Our need to be connected. He is the source of life and strength. He is the answer. But we need to understand we are not the vine. We are the branches. And we are nothing without the vine. This is why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives Within me. You see, as branches, you and I are just a replication of the vine. We are just a shoot off the vine. Which means we don't have to be the answer. We're connected to the answer. But it also means wherever we are and wherever we go, we carry with us Christ. There's a a branch of Jesus in Wichita. There's a branch of Jesus in Halstead and Andale and Valley Center and Mays and Goddard and Sedgwick, wherever you are from. If you're abiding in Christ, you represent Christ. You let Christ be represented through you and in you. You're a branch of Jesus where you go to school, you're a branch of Jesus where you work, you're a branch of Jesus at your own home, in all the ministries. When we're branches, we understand we're not the vine, but that because of his life, his life flows through us and it brings the results, the fruit. And those only come from him. Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit is only produced by a branch. Fruit's not coming off this thing because it's not even real. And it's not connected to any sort of vine. Fruit only comes off of that branch which is connected to the vine. The vine gives life to the branches. The branches produce fruit. The fruit produces seed which produces more vines. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I used to think that meant I needed to work on being more, I need to be more kind, I needed to be more patient. And we have to yield to the Spirit, but it is the Spirit working in us and through us that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is the vine that gives us the ability to do that in a connection to Him. The disciple without Christ can do nothing, but with Christ we are fruitful wherever we go. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. When Christ is living in me and I in him, then whatever I do, he is glorified. Much fruit comes from that. May we not forget that he is the vine and we Are the branches this morning. I want to invite you if you're not connected to the vine, if it or maybe at one time you were connected in the vine, but you haven't been abiding in the vine. You haven't been seeking him in prayer. You haven't been letting his word pour into you. You haven't let his spirit continue to guide you and counsel you and direct you. And maybe you'd like us to encourage you. We want to help with that. Or if you have never believed in Christ and expressed faith in him and put him on in baptism We'd like to help you begin that first step of being grafted in to the vine. This morning, whatever your need might be, we're glad to help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing.